Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ben Brereton to my Ben Brereton Diaz. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. How's it going, Justin? Yeah, tip top. Very good. Yeah, football's back. Been ripping out a kitchen today. It couldn't be better. Sounds like the ideal weekend, really. On the show today, we've been busy over the summer, striking deals, splashing the cash. We've got one of our new signings with us today. It's Louis Bent from the Baggies podcast. Louis, how's it going? Uh, I'm very well, thank you both. Are you both all right? Oh, tip top, tip top. <laughs> also making his debut is Dan Weldon from the Peterborough podcast, The Yellow Block. Dan, how's he, how are you going? Yeah, not bad, chaps. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. No problem, my man. Welcome to the number one championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. The best league in the world is back in our lives, ladies and gentlemen. What an opening weekend as well. Plenty of entertainment all around in the show today. We'll go through all the games from the weekend, talk about some of the news from the past week, and then finish off with the return of Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. So we'll start off with a cracker of a game from Friday night. Bournemouth v West Brom. It finished 2 all. Callum Robinson amongst the goals. This was a great way to start off the season. End-to-end football, fast-paced. Louis, from a West Brom perspective, I imagine the most pleasing part of the game was how good the Albion looked under Valerian Ishmael's style of play. I think definitely that's the case. I, uh, the team has never looked fitter than this. I think it, a lot of players, particularly, I think Matt Phillips is the one that people are using as a sort of benchmark as to how unfit he looked last year and how mm. fit he looks this year. I mean, the fitness levels of the side is incredible. I think the style of play is, is working with physical. We look very competitive, which is something that I think in some games in the championship last time we were here, I think was, was, wasn't was something to be said about our side under Slavon Bilic. But we're very competitive. We looked uh, really good on Friday night and I'm very pleased with the way that Valerian Ishmael's style is being implemented, really. Yeah, the pressing was there, wasn't it? The pressing yeah. was, they did not give Bournemouth a moment's no. rest. But the playing side of things, when they actually had the ball as well, was impressive. It wasn't, of course, we know Valerian Ishmael with Barnsley last season. It was very direct, to mm. put it politely. Uh, <laughs> but it was nice, attractive football going forward. So that was really pleasing to see. West Brom had two goals, questionably. Disallowed. What do yeah. you think, Louis? I think I think it was the first one that my head was in my hands about the the one where Travers Travers came out for a flap and he, he didn't quite get anywhere near the ball and Robinson tapped tapped it in on the on the back post. I couldn't believe that one was disallowed. The second one, I think, it was the one where Bartley was was trying to push and shove everybody in the box which I think mm. he was trying to do all game to anybody who came within five feet of him so I think the second one was fair enough I think the first one that was the one where I was like what on earth is the ref given here because Travis came out and he almost got blocked off by a couple of his own defenders really when he came out to punch or, or clear it away and in the end Robinson was just stood at the back post and the ball fell to him and uh, I, I can't see why the ref ruled that particular one out but the Bartley one I, I can kind of agree with because Bartley was at it all game with that sort of pushing and shoving yeah, I don't really know what he gave the foul for. It would be interesting to know from the no. referee's perspective who the foul was against. The yeah. only one I could maybe see was Darrow Shakes. He had a bit of a, a little push in um, Travers's back. But as you say, he just flung himself to the floor, didn't he? And yeah. the referee was happy to give a free kick. Justin, Bournemouth had their moments, didn't they? Did you like what you saw under the cherries with Scott Parker? I did actually. I, I was I was very impressed with um, the the transition from quite a tempestuous 
placid style of play under Tyndall and um, Jonathan Woodgate to a bit more front foot. It wasn't quite Ishmael style pressing, but it was certainly on the edge. And that's that's going to put them ahead of a lot of teams in the division. Really like the look of Mark Condes going forward, arriving late in the box. Billing helps out as well. And there's a lot to there's still a lot to come from from Bournemouth because as we saw the the substitutes that West Brom brought onto the game changed the game for them. Bournemouth getting quite tired, look quite leggy towards the end, but there was certainly some bright sparks for them there. And yeah, very nice to see a, a different style of play put in by Parker and Bournemouth. Mm. They were playing much more like the Fulham side that was in the Premier League, weren't they? In the way that it was quite direct and fast paced, as opposed to this slow turgid style of play that we saw when Fulham got promoted from the championship so interesting to see if that carries on when they come up against opposition not as good as West Brom finally Louis I thought I may as well ask the question Matias (laughs) Pereira what are your thoughts on him going to Saudi I thought he was better than that to be honest I thought I I had higher expectations of Pereira I thought he really I thought he looked like a guy he really enjoys his football he looks like he really enjoys a challenge but he, he seemed to do quite the opposite uh, of that by joining Al Halal. I get from money perspective, he's he's effectively, I think, doubled, nearly tripled his salary there. So obviously getting that money in for him and his family is going to be great for him. But I thought he's, I thought going into the Premier League, I think he could definitely cope with that standard of football. I think he's definitely uh, good enough for the Premier League. I think a lot of sides that were sniffing around, maybe somebody like West Ham, I think, looked, looked like a good fit for him. But I think by throwing his toys out the pram and, you know, not playing and not really honouring his contract, I think he's he's put a lot of those Premier League clubs off. And I think Al-Hilal were the only team really waiting to swoop in for him. And we've got a bit of money, perhaps not the not the most amount of money that we could have got for him or not anywhere near the desired amount that we wanted but we've got a bit of money and he's gone now but he's gone to a place where I think that he may disappear off the map for a couple of years which is a shame to see a footballer with that talent go there and do that at this stage in his career. Yeah Justin we'll have a chat about that (laughs) later on because I've got a few thoughts on it myself. Um, (laughs) Peterborough played their first championship game in eight years on Saturday. Oh dear. It wasn't a happy return to the second tier though. They were comfortably beaten 3-0 by Luton. And Dan, the result perhaps not much of a shock. What I found surprising was just how easy it was for Luton to score the three goals here. Yeah, so I see. I, I can sort of see where where you're coming from when you say it's it's not really too much of a shock from an outsider's point of view. But I think if you ask a lot of Peterborough fans, we came into this game expecting to get something. Um, mm. We've recruited quite well over the summer. We had a team that we all thought was was good enough for the next level last year um so it's quite a shock to yeah as you say how easy it was for Luton to put us aside um the the goals were questionable defensively it was very easy to get around the back of the fullbacks which I guess was a problem last year as well so not altogether too surprising but yeah just we were well off the pace well off it yeah. Well, why were Peterborough so bad? I, I, I was looking at Johnson Clark Harris and I know he's only played, what, 45 minutes in pre-season, so he might not be fully fit. Is there any other reasons why they were just so poor? No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. Just It's not just Clark Harris, it's everybody in the squad. Everybody's well off fitness. Um, not really too sure why. Maybe the celebrations for promotion went on a little bit too long <laughs> and we didn't get back in time. But no, there's 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 some serious 
pace lacking, some serious output lacking. I guess the exact opposite of what West Brom came in. You know, the energy is there, the fitness is there. Ours is not. And no. I think it's going to take us a little while. And obviously we're missing players through injury, which doesn't help. But, oh, yeah, it's not looking good so far. Yeah, it's a rocky start to life back in the Championship. We criticised Peterborough Justin, but Luton, they were quality, weren't they? Well, there's there's the difference, as, as Dan mentioned, the the, the, the fitness-wise. Luton were relentless. They attacked relentlessly. They were really impressive going forwards. The signings seem to have settled in quite nicely. There's a lot to smile about from a Luton perspective. And, and, and Fred on your dimmer, oh my God, what a game he had. Yeah, two assists. He had three shots. Scored a goal. Ten dribbles completed. He was he was on fire, and it's this sort of recruitment that does it goes under the, it goes under the radar because it's, they're not they're not big signings, are they? Not big name signings, but players like that come in and improve the Luton side as they are. And going back to the game, it showed that they were a step ahead of Peterborough. As I say, in terms of fitness preparation, they were they were quite far ahead. Onye Dimmer is quite a big name in terms of length if that's what you mean. Big score on Scrabble, yeah. But I'm talking uh, yeah, reputation, not length okay. of uh, letters. Like, oh, I think it's a big yeah. name signing. Um, Dan, has this result made you less confident about staying up this season or are you kind of just thinking first game, not lack- lacking a bit of fitness? I think... I'm not sure what I think, to be honest. Um, it's, it's definitely a rude awakening. To, to the standard of the league and obviously we know it's, it's, a, it's a massive league and we need to come in prepared um, but I think w- once we've got our big names back obviously Jack Taylor is a very big focal point in the midfield he controls everything and we struggled with that in last year so once he's back I'd, I'd like to think that we get a couple of you know results with him in the side and, and hopefully Josh Knight moves into defence not playing CDM so <laughs> It's it's tough to take, but I think we've got a good enough side if you, you sort of factor in everything, and we should, you know, come the end of the season, uh, be in a reasonable place. It's it's game one of forty six. It's not over yet. And we're going to keep a tally in this show of how many times I say it's only one game in, because I imagine I will say it quite a few times in this show. Uh, Louis and Dan, thank you for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on to play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Shall we go on a trip around the grounds, Justin? Let's go, let's go. Let's go. Here we go then. Let's start at Deepdale, where Hull had a very nice time back in the championship after beating Preston 4-1. Joel Robinson's from the To Hull and Back podcast. What a result for the Tigers, Joel. Yeah, it was an unbelievable performance, considering we've just come up from League One. I was expecting us to be in a lot more of a more physical battle, but... With Preston starting off well, we struggled and then got into the game and we were just miles too much for them, um, which looks good for us as we're going into our next game on Saturday against QPR. Hopefully we can um, repeat the performance. Yeah, it was an unbelievable performance, wasn't it? Were you surprised about, I don't want to say easy, but it's the only word I can think of, how easy it was? Not not particularly. Um, I think... As a team, we're, we're a very solid unit, um, and Preston haven't been too great this past um, year through the pandemic. Um, whereas we just kept getting better and better as the season went on last season, and we, we looked like we were going to carry it on, um, which we have. So hopefully we can improve game by game, more performances like that, um, because we're going to come up against miles harder teams than Preston um, over the next few weeks. And Joel, Q 
keen Lewis Potter. He's someone we've spoken about on the show recently, but he might not be very familiar to plenty of championship fans. Just how much of a player is this lad? For me, Keenless Potter is probably a better academy player than Jared Bowen when he came through the system. So it wouldn't surprise me if Keenless Potter kept, keeps getting better and better and ends up in the Premier League, hopefully hopefully with us in the next couple of years. But if not, I can definitely see him getting into a mid-table Premier League team easily with how he's been playing. He just keeps improving every single game, um, taking on players, making right-backs look silly for just for fun, really. Um, and the goals and assists will come as well as the championship season goes on. He managed to get a goal and assist yesterday. So hopefully that's the start of a rather large tally for him. Thank you, Joel. Yep, Justin, Keen Lewis Potter. What a boy. He's a good player. He's a very good player. Um, very good. Yeah, I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but he's he's he showed last season especially what he can do at League One level coming up to the Championship and he was at the heart of everything good going forwards for Hull uh, against Preston and I think that sort of played into well I think Preston underestimated their ability a little bit um, and as we say Keen Lewis Potter he's, he's got so much ability I'm surprised he's not on other clubs radars the same with Jacob Greaves players like that they've got a good young young squad going forwards Hull City which is great for them for the future a lot of value in that team now a bit like Jared Bowen um, they, they know how to turn him good don't they at Hull well, that's what Joel was just saying. Keen Lewis Potter, he reckons he could end up being better than Jared Bowen. And Golden Assist yesterday looks a real, real talent. Still very young, still very raw. And I'm very excited to see how he does this season because based off that performance, he could have an unbelievable season. I thought Richard Smallwood had a good game as well for Hull as well. They they were really comfortable, surprisingly comfortable in a way, weren't they? Oh, I think it was. Um, it might have been the third goal where Josh Emmanuel literally walks two thirds of the pitch, then turns. It was a slow turn as well, but Preston weren't pressing them. But th- I think Hall made it look a-, a lot easier than it was as well because of how quick they were moving the ball. I know I just said Josh Emmanuel literally walked up the pitch, but they got the ball into wide areas, they got the ball into dangerous areas in the final third, and they asked a lot of questions of Preston, which, as we know with Alan Brown's quote at the end of the game, they weren't expecting it. Well. He said that he, for anyone who's not seen the quote, he said he was disappointed with the result because they are a side that has come straight up from League One. A bit patronising, maybe? Oh, massively patronising. That's why you lost 4-1 at home on the opening day. Uh, It's actually really irked me because the whole city are a good side. I know we've we've tipped into being around the relegation zone this season, but... You have. All right. (laughs) But (laughs) let me praise them for a minute. They're a good side with a good young squad going forwards um, and who were mass- miles ahead of Preston, massively the better team. You shouldn't be coming out and trying to pat them on the head and said, well, you have just come up from League One. You shouldn't be doing that to us. Well, they did do that to you and they'll do it to a few other teams this season and it's going to happen to you if you approach the game with the same attitude that you did because there was nothing good about Preston yesterday. Well, it makes you wonder whether Frankie McAvoy's honeymoon period at Preston is over. It- Anybody who thought that they would start this season rocky and not carry on from the form that we saw at the end of last season, then you'd be thinking that this won't be alleviating that possibly happening. They did have chances, in fairness to them, but again, losing 4-1 to a side who has just come up from League One, um, that sounds patronising when I say it, but... They were You're the problem, Ryan. I am the problem. Me and Alan Brown (laughs) are the problem. But you are quite right that... 
this is not a promising start to the season. I mean, that's stating the obvious, really, isn't it? Well, they were just they were miles off it. I think there was one period where uh, Keen Lewis Potter got the ball in a wide area and put the ball in for Josh McGuinness. Josh McGuinness was unmarked, wandered in front of two players and put the ball in the back of the net. You can't do that. You can't do that at any level. Um, there was just, there was, they just seemed to retreat into a, a really deep back line. I mean, I think it was the first 10 minutes, actually, that set the precedent for the game for Preston where Declan Rudd comes bombing out, tries to dive in ahead of the ball. Loses yeah, out weird. to Keen. Yeah, loses out to <laughs> I Keen. I don't Lewis really Potter. know what he was doing. <laughs> he, Not he's, a clue. He's gone for a diving header mm. at knee height when it would just been so much easier for him to just volley yeah. it away. But instead, he ended up getting flipping concussed and had yeah. to be taken off. So it's such a weird decision. But there you go. Uh, it was a surprise that anyone was available for the game between Derby and Huddersfield on Saturday. Derby, of course, only had 11 senior outfield players heading into it, while Huddersfield had a coronavirus outbreak, meaning they were missing several players. However, it ended one all following goals from Curtis Davis and Nabi Saar. Joining me now from the Second Tier Podcast is Derby fan Justin Peach. Justin, hello. Hello. You were at the game, weren't you? What did you make of I it? I was there. It was. Um, I, t- I tell you what, just considering that... Huddersfield were ravaged with positive COVID cases. Carlos Corbran wasn't at the game either. Uh, and Derby obviously don't have a squad. It was a good game of football with some good football being, being played. I was obviously very surprised with Derby. I I think most fans would have expected getting a, a, an absolute panning. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised with how composed Huddersfield looked at times as well. Um, I think one player in particular, Sorba Thomas, was, was incredible. He was. It was one of the best games I've seen from an individual. For, I say for a long time. I've not been at a game for fifteen months. So, best best performance I've seen in person for for fifteen months. Um, yeah, he looks very good. His delivery is impeccable. Huddersfield were relying not relying on him, but he was the main threat going forwards for Huddersfield. And Derby looked sharp sharp on the break at times. Louis Sibley, when he came on, I think he changed the game uh, a little bit in Derby's favour. Um, and yeah, as I say, very very even game. Very, very even game. Mm. Well, with Huddersfield missing players and Carlos Corbrand not being there, it's kind of hard to decide what to make of the performance, really. They didn't really show anything for me that will say they won't be in a relegation battle this season. It is only one game, as I say. Um, so we'll see. We'll have to see whether that's the case in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but obviously there was a lot of curiosity about how Derby would look with so few players available. You look at the starting eleven that played, it's not actually that bad, really. No. The bench was made up of kids. <laughs> but if that starting eleven manages to stay mostly fit throughout the season, then they might have a chance of staying up. They might do. You're asking a, a lot of questions of poor 36-year-old Curtis Davis fulfilling a 46-game yeah. schedule. You, you don't want to play a high line with him, do you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's no disrespect to him. Yeah, him and Stearman are very old. I think a combined age of eighty or or seventy nine, which is mm. very old. Um, but they were they were very good defensively yesterday. Very very good defensively yesterday. And I think Stearman at one point diving headed the ball a bit like Declan Wood, but he actually got the ball um, and didn't come off worse. Such as his heroic defending, and Derby going to need a lot of that this season. And as you say, first eleven, why not? They could avoid relegation, but it's unlikely if because you know. Injuries are going to happen, suspension is going to happen. From what you saw of the game then, more or less encouraged about Derby this season? Probably more encouraged. I think if you add to that side, it could easily compete to get out of a bottom three relegation battle. 
I think it just needs a little bit more depth, uh, probably a little, a little bit, bit more quality. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's an understatement, but that's that's me in general, isn't it? Um, but yeah, just a little bit more depth and some more quality. Uh, I think a little bit more pace going forward will help as well, but certainly encouraged, yes. Yeah, fair enough. Russell Martin suffered defeat in his first game in charge of Swansea. They were beaten 2-1 by Blackburn, but there were celebrations in Chile as the country's favourite son, Ben Brereton Diaz, scored. Joining us now from the Blackburn podcast Rovers chat is Ryan Hildred. Ryan, what a result. Yeah, brilliant win for Rovers. Um, first and foremost, we've not won on the opening day since 2010. So, you know, most Rovers fans approach the opening game with... Uh, a bit of trepidation in that sense. And, um, you know, our pre-season and, and our outlook going into this season um, isn't great, you know, especially compared to last season where we'd made a lot of good signings and appear to have some squad depth to do a bit of a promotion slash playoff push. You know, this season, we just feel a bit lighter. And there's obviously the, the rumours about Adam Armstrong and, you know, it's very hard to replace 29 goals in the team and also um, to replace the assists that Harvey Elliott had last season. So, yeah, you know, this season, um, you know, expectations are low in the fan base. And um, yeah, it's just really good just to, to get the win on the board. And I've got to say, you know, it just felt like we'd never been away. And the atmosphere was was fantastic from the Rovers fans. And um, albeit a smaller crowd, um, but really good noise, really good feel and just a, a fantastic day and brilliant to be back. Well, that's good to hear, Ryan. Um Ben Brereton Diaz, the man, the myth, the legend, the Chilean legend. Uh, you got on the score sheets yesterday. With Adam Armstrong seemingly heading out the door, how important is he going to be for Rovers this season? It's not just Brereton Diaz, actually. It's also Sam Gallagher. You know, people forget Sam Gallagher just with, you know, the the kind of fanfare around the, the Diaz and Chile story. Um you know, Mowbray signed both of those for a combined fee of, of £12 million. So really, if we do lose Armstrong and, you know, if it is just a cash-only deal and, you know, we don't replace like-for-like like in that sense, then Mowbray's just really got to trust those two strikers to deliver the goods. And, you know, perfect start to the season last season with both of them scoring. Um, Brereton Diaz in particular just looks a, a newfound player. You know, there was a moment yesterday where... He tried a shot from outside the box and it trickled just wide, but the fans' reaction was extremely positive to that. It was like, ooh, whereas in previous seasons, you know, people would have been maybe getting on his back or laughing at him. So, you know, this stuff with Chile and the Copper America, it's really just helped bring Brereton Diaz closer to the fans. So, yeah, him and Sam Gallagher, it's critical that those two uh, obviously chip in with goals next season and hopefully double figures for both of them. And certainly the midfielders have got to chip in with a few as well. Yeah, and Ryan, we had Blackburn finish 18th in our league table predictions, and I know you weren't expecting too much from Rovers this season either. After this win, are you feeling a bit more optimistic or are you still staying cautious? Because after all, it is just one win, isn't it? I'm still cautious. Um, I think one thing that, you know, I've not changed my opinion of is, you know, the starting 11, even without Adam Armstrong, is a pretty decent starting 11. And, and that proved yesterday, obviously, getting the win. Um, it's the options from the bench. It's the wider squad depth. It's when the injury set in and, you know, the suspension set in. That's where we'll be tested. And, you know, we have got some great academy prospects coming through once again from the under 23s. And who knows, you know, they might surprise us. Um you know, they might do a little bit of that, what Marcus Rashford did at Man United when he first broke through. They could really take it by storm. So I'm still cautious. You know, it is just a win on the opening day. And um, when it gets into, you know, games every Tuesday, Saturday, and that squad is tested out, 
that's pos- you know, possibly where we'll come up short. But I tell you what, you know, the fight that the team showed yesterday, um, the backing that the fans gave, you know, is it's done a little bit maybe to prove, you know, people like me wrong who have got us down in that 18th, 19th position. But uh, yeah, still cautious and still expecting lower bottom half, really. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, this was a funny game to watch, really, Justin, because <laughs> Blackburn had so many chances. But they all came from Swansea mistakes. And it was just Swansea repeatedly trying to pass it round at the back and then giving the ball away. And Blackburn were given a golden chance. It was just crazy how often it happened. I mean, to be fair to Russell Martin, he's not had long to work with his Swansea players. No. And last season, it took MK Dons a long time to get going. So that's going to play a part. But then again, I saw Matt Grimes make quite a few mistakes, which is, especially in a system like that, you wouldn't expect. But... That's partly down to Blackburn pressing them as high as they did, uh, and you're always going to get that with a Blackburn side. They're going to they're going to try and pen you in quite high up, or they're going to sit deep and try and counter attack you. Uh, in this scenario, they smelt blood with a team not quite there in terms of style of play, and they punished them. I've never seen that many shots on target. I think in an opening game of the season before, it was yeah, astounding. Yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, Swansea had 72 percent possession. Yeah. And still. <laughs> Blackburn just had chance after chance after chance coming from Swansea mistakes at the back. Um, And I expect that possession stat to be quite a regular theme throughout the season for Swansea. But it is going to take time for Russell Martin to implement his style of play. Because these players are going from Steve Cooper ball, which wasn't the most attractive style of play. I think that's fair to say. Having said that, some of these players were playing under Graham Potter, which was a similar kind of play. Mm -hmm. Uh, style of play so yeah it's going to take a while for Russell Martin to get it right but it's got to improve a lot quicker than from what I saw in that game uh, yesterday but same question for you Justin that I just asked Ryan how important will Brereton Diaz be for Blackburn Rovers this season considering it looks like Adam Armstrong is on his way I think yeah he will be important Uh, I've said before that Blackburn spent a lot of money on him and he looked a very raw talent right up until probably the start of last season. Hit some good form last season, but it started to drift a little bit. Um, and he, uh, the, I say the Euros, not the Euros, Cop America, how he played at the Cop America. He, yeah, I've seen some highlights. He was really, really good, really, really effective coming off the left foot for Chile. Um, and I'd expect a little bit more of the same for Blackburn. And the game yesterday told me that he's, he's going to have that same impact for Blackburn as he did for Chile over the summer. Because we saw that composure, we saw that assurance in his own ability that he has got it. Because he has got it, he's a very good player. And um, as you say, they, they will be relying on him for, for goals and, and not creativity, but getting into the final third, definitely. Well, the thing is, he started the season really well, didn't he, last season? He did, yeah. But then the form, as you say, just kind of fizzled out. So we know what he's capable of. And you'd look at how he did at the Copper America... And from a Blackburn perspective, you'll be hoping that's given him confidence. And from what we've seen so far, I mean, it is only one game, but it looks like he is a new player for Blackburn. And the fact that Adam Armstrong is going, you look at that Blackburn side and you struggle to see where the goals are going to come from. So they need him and Sam Gallagher and other players to step up in terms of scoring goals. He's probably the one player you look at the most to step up to score the goals. So hopefully this is the start of a brilliant season for BBD. 
Uh, Stoke won. Stoke won on the opening day of the season for the first time since 2009. The longest streak of any team in the EFL. They beat Reading 3-2. Ben Rowley is from the Stoke podcast, the YYY Files. Ben, how was it? Yeah, what a game. What a start. I mean, I think it's been over 12 years since Stoke have kicked off a league campaign with a win. And just in the manner we did it too. Not only have we not been in the stadium for over 500 days, and that's just exciting in itself, but a 3-2 victory, going 1-2-3-0 up and being pegged back and then winning with about 10 minutes to go was just great. Uh, we played well as well, really. I mean, a little bit open defensively, but that could be excused by the fact that um, we've had a new defence again uh, with Ben Wilmot coming in as well. He played really well. Um, Mario Vrancic has made the midfield so much more exciting. Um, the three-five-two with Brown and Fletcher up front seems to be working for now, but having the option to bring on Sam Surridge is really exciting compared to Sam Vokes last season. And it's worked. I mean, I, I did expect us to win this game, but to do it in the manner we did and the fact that we've been pegged back to shows great mentality and, yeah, just a great watch. Yeah, and you mentioned Sam Surridge. Plenty of eyebrows were raised quite high on the head when he signed for five and a half million from Bournemouth. What did you make of the signing and how did he get on in this game? Yeah, when I saw the fee, five million was just insane. It does turn out that the fee does look to be more like two million, which is good. And perhaps the five millions are unachievable add-ons, which does seem very stoke. Um, But the exciting is a good one. Having not known really anything about him when he signed... I've been asking Bournemouth fans and having a look at yesterday, he seems to be somewhat of a target man that can link up play, but also he loves to play in behind and a bit of a poacher in the box too. I mean, it was a great finish yesterday to get the victory and he's certainly got a point to prove. You could see that. Um, Perhaps didn't get the chances at Bournemouth that he wanted and he will get them at Stoke. Um, I don't know how many he'll get if we bring in another striker. I know we're looking at Liam Delap and that's extremely, extremely exciting. But... We've got so many good options at Stoke, and that's something we could not say last season. And Sam Surridge, unexpected as he may have been, just adds to that. And I think it gears up for a really exciting season. Yeah, and it's only going to get better once Tyrese Campbell is back in the side. And I know you're a bit of a Tyrese Campbell fanboy, aren't you, Ben? Um, Once he is back, though, how excited are you going to be about Stoke? I mean, I thought for an opening day, we played so well yesterday. And I only realised at full time that Tyrese Campbell's coming back. And that just makes things even more exciting and our options even more open. I think we're playing a 3-5-2 simply down to personnel at the moment. Um, But when Tyrese Campbell comes back, it gives that option to have uh, a target man and two wide forwards, maybe. Uh, It gives that option for people to come off the bench. Not necessarily Tyrese Campbell, I expect him to start, but people like Surridge. Brown with pace is, again, very exciting. If we sign another striker, very exciting. Sounds like we're in for a holding midfielder as well, which I don't think Allen suits that role. He played it yesterday, and his tendency to press does leave holes at the back, and that, I think, explained what happened yesterday for the two goals as well. Um, but watch out for Stoke this season. I know you tipped us as dark horses, and I can see why. Um, depends how the transfer window finishes, but yeah, I'm really excited this season. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, a really promising performance from Stoke, Justin. It, it was, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised, um, to be honest. Mm. I, I thought there'd be a, a bit of a bit of reservation in their play, maybe. A little bit uh, 
cautious at times and disciplined, but they were quite open. There was a lot of flair going forward. Nick Powell, Mario Francic, it's a very good, very good pairing to have in an attacking sense. And then you put a goal scorer in front of him in Sam Surridge. Yeah, that's a very nice trio to have going forwards. But they were a threat from set pieces. Jacob Brown worked his socks off. It was a very good all-round performance. I think the only only criticism you'd have is conceding the two goals and possibly letting Reading come into the game on one too many occasions. But yeah, a very good, slightly chaotic performance from, from both teams, really. Yeah, well, Vrancic was absolutely class in the middle of the park. He's pulling all the strings, all the strings for Stoke and looks a really promising sign. And the fact they got him on a free could be one hell of a bit of business uh, only seven teams scored fewer goals than Stoke in the second half of last season so for them to come out and fire home three here is a really good sign especially with the team looking as if it's only going to get stronger soon with the likes of Tyrese Campbell coming back into the side and possibly Liam Delap signing on loan we'll have to wait and see on that one but yeah really promising signs for Stoke here as you say it's just those two goals which are a bit of a blotch on the old score sheet but again that's something that hopefully will be improved on once they get the likes of Harry Sousa back into the team as well I didn't think Reading were too bad actually considering they lost I don't think there's any need for alarm bells to be ringing here do you think no definitely not I I was impressed at times with them they played some good stuff at times it was just the 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 way they conceded some of the goals quite sloppy I think it was um it was the header, fairly decent ball in, but you can defend better against that in that situation when you've got the likes of Michael Morris and Liam Moore available. You can do better. And also the, the Surridge winner, they've sold, uh, Francis has sold the defenders there with a dummy, quite a simple dummy, and um, Surridge has peeled off the defenders to create a bit of space for himself. So yeah, there's a little bit of tightening up that needs to be done, but certainly not bad uh, in any sense. And scoring two two goals away at... Um, at Stoke at the back three six five, it's not a bad, not a bad start to the season. No, not at all. And you look at players like John Swift, for example, who Reading are counting on to have a good season for them to accomplish anything this season. He did really well. Also shaved his head. I did not recognise him <laughs> when I first saw him, but he looks incredibly intimidating now. He looks a bit like. If you're in the pub and he was at the pool table, you would wait until he goes away before putting down any because <laughs> he looks scary yeah. now. But he is going to be so important for Reading this season. It's something we keep saying, isn't it? With Elise gone and they've lost the likes of Mate to injury, uh, Ajaria wasn't playing yesterday. He's going to be so important. And if he gets back to the John Swift that we all know and love, minus hair then he is going to be absolutely <laughs> class for Reading this season and this was a very promising start for him right Justin let's have a break after that we'll talk about the games on Saturday night uh, and the ones from Sunday as well Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So there was a big shock on Saturday night as Sheffield United were beaten 1-0 by Birmingham thanks to a header from Maxime Collan. I'll start off by saying an 8pm kickoff on a Saturday night is a horrible idea. It's mm-hmm. an absolute disgrace and yeah. I completely condemn it. Um, but there we go, Birmingham. Very, very solid here, Justin, and good value for the win. Absolutely, they were. They they were great. They they looked really assured in that four four two, almost a four three three at times. Because 
Chong was drifting around, sometimes coming over to um, Beeler's side. Yeah, really, really good performance from Birmingham City, I thought. And they have this uncanny habit of spoiling opening games for promotion contenders, don't they? It's it's great fun. Yeah, they were shitting all over Brentford's parade for two seasons in a row, weren't yeah. they? They've got, they must have a pretty good record on the opening day, old Blues. But they, they were classier. They restricted Sheffield United to shots from distance pretty much throughout the whole game. Promising debut from Chong, Baylor, Collan providing width were really good as well. Really, really good. And it's a very promising start to a first full season under Lee Bowyer. And again, looking at Blues, thinking... I'm quite excited about seeing what they can accomplish this season. So, well done to them. I was quite shocked at how bang average Sheffield United looked. Because, as I say, restricted to shots from distance. And considering the players they've got available, I'm not sure that's really good enough. Yeah, I think Jokanovic shot himself in the foot by going... Well, he opted for pace, it felt like, with Musa and Burke either side of um, McGoldrick. I'll say and this I think as well. That, Burke starting up front when you've got Brewster, Sharp and McBurney on exactly. the bench is yeah. weird. This is what I'm getting at. He, he opted for pace in behind a, a Birmingham City back line that are going to want to play deep against you because they're going to want to restrict the space in behind him because they know that they're going to be exploited at times. So why would you play pace against a, a deep line. I mean, I'm not a master tactician. It just didn't make too much sense for me when you've got players like... McGoldrick's a good shout in there, but you've got players like Brewster, you know, Billy Sharp, Ollie McBurney is very good with his back to goal, who can bring the midfield into play. And they didn't really do enough of that, which is why they were just reserved to shots from distance or restricted to shots from distance, I should say. So, yeah, really disappointing, I think, from, from Sheffield United's perspective. I just I expected a lot more from a team with so much talent. Yeah, well, so did I, and I think quite a few people did. So it, we'll, we'll, have, we'll have to wait and see to see if they manage to improve on that because they've got to play a lot better than they did here. Did hit the did hit the post in the first half, in fairness to them. They also had a penalty shot turned down. I don't know if uh, you have any thoughts on that, Justin? I will not speak of any refereeing controversy this season at all. <laughs> that is Maybe. one hell of a commitment. <laughs> I wasn't too sure because it did obviously hit his arm, but he was moving it away and he was looking away. So I, I, I've seen them given, I've seen them not given. So I, I'm not too fussed about that. There were definitely some poorer decisions made by referees this weekend. Um, Fulham couldn't win their opening game either. They drew one all with Borough. Alexander Mitrovic booked after 41 seconds. Good to have you back. Well, <laughs> um, fairly comfortable for 70 minutes, but then in the final 20, they were left hanging on a bit. You say fairly comfortable, but at no point did I think that they were safe. Um, just because it's Neil Warnock, it's it's Borough away from home. They know what they're doing. They know how to get results. And um, and they did that. They kept plugging away as well. I thought Borough, as I say, were, were always in the game. Um, it was disappointing for them to go 1-0 down the way they did because I thought Mark Bowler, who obviously scored the equaliser, thought he defended Harry Wilson quite poorly, to be honest with you. Mm. But as you say, Fulham created a lot of chances, had a lot of the ball, but didn't see it through, which is, again, disappointing from a team with a lot of talent. Just pretty much irking what we said about Sheffield United. Really frustrating. Well, Marco Silva admitted it was very frustrating to throw away a 1-0 lead after looking so comfortable, as I say, for the vast majority mm -hmm. of the game. I thought it was a solid debut from Harry Wilson. Obviously got the goal. Looked Fulham's most threatening player. Um, Fabio Carvalho, young lad, 18-year-old, played yeah, in the middle of the park. 
he, he didn't have the best of games, but it's interesting to see that he is starting ahead of some very, very talented players in the middle of the park and across the course of the season could turn out to be a really, really talented player. I just wanted to draw your attention to Fulham's bench, Justin. Marek Rodak, Alfie Mawson, Joe Bryan, Jean-Michel Serri, Ivan Cavallero, Bobby Deckard over Reed and Abubakar Kamara. I mean, that team on its own, just those seven, would probably finish quite high in the championship. It's just... Just those seven? <laughs> yeah, yeah, just them on their own. <laughs> it's, it's just a stunning amount of talent that they've got available to them. And the fact that they couldn't put away this Middlesbrough team, who are a very solid side, we'll give them that. But the fact they were leading as well is why Marco Silva was understandably so frustrated. But Neil Warnock chuffed with that result, weren't he? You'd be buzzing, wouldn't you? You're going away to Fulham on the opening day of the season. It's not the easiest place to go to get results. It's not the easiest place to go to get results with the team that Fulham have got. So, yeah, you'd be happy going one or down as well uh, and 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 putting the the, the bowl or putting the, the shot away quite late on in the game. Yeah, you'd be very pleased. It's a bit of a smash and grab in, in some senses. But as I say, there were times where I thought Borough could could get another really I, I'd actually thought the last 10-15 minutes they played really really well um, mm. but Neil Warnock will be happy with that it's something for, for Borough to build on yes for large parts of the game I thought they were quite poor but you're going away to Fulham you're going to try and sit back a little bit yeah. uh, and defend essentially and be a bit more disciplined and organised so something to build on can be better yeah absolutely a 96th minute Cal McFadden goal saw Coventry beat Forest 2-1 in the first game back at the Coventry Building Society Arena. Um, Forest looked pretty comfortable for the majority of the game. Lyle Taylor scoring for the tricky trees, but then Coventry soon burst into life, mainly down to Callum O'Hare, who I thought was unbelievable, Justin. He was unplayable at times. He's a good player. We we, we love him, don't we? He's, mm. he's I mean... I'm not comparing him to Jack Grealish, but he's got that swagger. I mean, he's got the hairband. Exactly, the... exactly the same that I was thinking. It's the way he runs. He, yeah. he runs like Jack Grealish. He dribbles like Jack Grealish, plays like Jack Grealish. And he's also got incredibly small socks and shin pads. As and well. he's got the he hairband. Is, he is basically Jack Grealish. Championship version of Jack Grealish. As I say, we're not comparing him to Jack Grealish, but we are. There's, there is okay. <laughs> Ryan's comparing him to Jack Grealish. There's similarities there, definitely. The way he commits players, the way he effort, effortlessly dribbles past them. I mean, the way that he created the um, was it the equaliser? Now I can't. Yeah, the the equaliser. He won the free where kick, he, didn't he? Well, no, he, he created the oh, no, equaliser as well. I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but for the first, he created it by. Yeah, I think right. Meg Yates took the ball past Bong, put the ball in the box, came back out, and obviously goal came from there. And then for the winner, created the, the free kick. Yates didn't have to commit himself by any means, but he still put Yates in that position where he's got to make the tackle. So, yeah, Callum Hare, what a threat. What a player for for, for Coventry. And I expect him to have a really good season because he was good last season, but I expect it to be a lot better this season with a, a year of championship football under his belt. Well, he's going to be a key player for Coventry this season because, as we saw here, he makes things happen for them going forward, doesn't he? And... Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think he last season he did have a tendency to go missing at times in games, but I think he plays a lot better when he's coming deep to get the ball to you know come back and make things happen from deep and then run at defenders like Jack Grealish really. Um, so <laughs> if he if he keeps doing that, then he's only going to get better and better for Coventry, and he won't have those games where he does or seemingly passes him by and 
if that keeps happening, then Coventry, they've got themselves one hell of a player, haven't they? Um, so, yeah, very good win for Cov. Uh, quick word on Forrest, who will obviously be very disappointed to have thrown away a one-goal lead. But Lau Taylor scoring is good because we've been concerned about their striker problems this season, Justin. So him getting on the score sheet will do him a world of good, won't it? Yeah, he's a player that if you put the ball in front of him, he will put the ball in the back of the net. It's as simple as that. Last season, they struggled for creativity a lot. They were the second lowest goal scorers just ahead of Derby. And it wasn't necessarily the finishing that was an issue. Okay, it might have been part of the issue, but it was mainly creativity. Someone like Brennan Johnson in there, who's got the ability to dribble past players, He's going to put the ball in the box a lot more than perhaps Anthony Ockhart would have, for example. So yeah, it's a, there's, there are positives to take from it, but as I say, a lack of discipline cost him uh, in this game from, from from Ryan Yates at the end of the game. Yeah, absolutely. It was a tale of two screamers at the Kyan Prince Foundation Stadium, QPR 1, Millwall 1. Jed Wallace putting away a lovely turn-and-shoot effort, and then at the other end, Rob Dickey. Scoring a 25-yard screamer. Slipped on his arse while he did it, but still a lovely goal. And he's getting a bit of a reputation for scoring from distance now, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's going to be a £15 million player. Some Premier League club's going to come in and throw it at him because if you've got a player who can do that, and also he's, he's a good def- a very good defender, Brilliant. but he's but he's quite happy to drift forwards and, and shoot uh, from distance. Yeah, yeah, you're going to being a bit of a windfall of money but I think the most disappointing thing about that goal is how easily Millwall parted in midfield it's not very Millwall-esque is it? No well he was allowed to bring the ball forward once and he thought just have a crack um, but yeah Dickey absolutely quality going forwards and as you say at the back he's going to be so important for QPR this season you talk about all the new signings that they've made Rob Dickey him having a good season will probably be the most important part of any success QPR are going to have this season because he is absolutely quality um, and can score the occasional 25-yard screen as well, which does help. Um, I thought both sides looked defensively solid. There weren't many chances to speak of at all in this game and the fact that they, they, both goals came from two screens, yeah. you know, says a lot about how well both sides defended. Um, Scott Malone with some very bizarre defending right at the end of the game. He's chested it back to Bartosz Bielkowski, but... I can't remember who it was. There was a QPR player in between him and the goalkeeper. <laughs> so he's like, what on earth are you doing? But yeah, one all. And I think a, a point was a fair result for both sides. Um, Cardiff and Barnsley drew one all as well. Loads of one alls this weekend. Very bizarre. Uh, Cardiff will perhaps feel they should have won this. Leandro Bakuna missed two great chances. Keith Moore came off the bench. Had he started, maybe he could have provided the difference. But one all and... Cardiff will be looking back at this thinking they probably should have got something from it Justin yeah definitely the Europe at home against a Barnsley side who have had quite a significant change in the summer so you're looking at that and going we should be trying to get three points here and it didn't work out that way and the goal they conceded I thought was quite sloppy Benson picking up the ball from deep which lovely ball into to Civic but Civic's got a lot of space and time to run into which was obviously vacated by the wing back and yeah close down a bit sooner you you come away with a 1-0 win so yeah not not too bad but not good enough that was his first goal in senior football and it's always great when a player scores who doesn't score very often because when they celebrate they just don't know what to do <laughs> it's uh, yeah. it's it's very funny to watch uh, but it was interesting that Barnsley went with three at the back considering 
we were kind of expecting Marcus Shop to go with four at the back because that's basically what he's done throughout his whole career. But he's gone back to Ishmael's starting setup, which will be interesting to see if that carries on throughout the season. And Callum Stowes filling in the Alex Mara role as we expected. He's got some big shoes to fill, but he's a very, very talented player. The Berry Baggio, as he's well known. And finally, Justin Blackpool picked up a point away at Bristol City after a 93rd minute equaliser from Shane Lavery meant they drew one all. Nigel Pearson said after the game that they should have won. Difficult to disagree, really. Aside from the goal, they had three really good chances and Blackpool didn't really have a sniff until the equaliser, did they? No, there was a couple of moments where Blackpool were, were knocking on the door once Bristol City went up but it wasn't anything significantly to worry about I think the key thing here and okay it's disappointing that you don't come away with three points but the amount of chances Bristol City created it must have been an absolute whirlwind for supporters in that stadium not being used to that for a while I'm sure they created more chances in this game than they probably did over the course of five or six games last season they had eight shots in the area which again for Bristol City might have been nosebleed territory but a lot of positives, a lot of positives for them to build on, definitely, and probably more so than some of the other teams that picked up one more draws uh, well, it, this weekend. It's progress, isn't it? And exactly. That's all you can have after what was a disastrous second half of the season for Bristol City, but they're going to come up against tougher teams than Blackpool in the next few weeks, so they'll have to adapt to that. Final points on this game, Justin. The flipping camera angle at Ashton Gate, it annoys me so much. It is so high. I have never. It seems to be getting higher. It's it's on. It's clearly on a um, what are they called? Like the cherry pickers. So they're just gradually just going up and up and up. It will be on the bloody moon soon. It's so <laughs> disorientating how different this camera angle is compared to every single stadium in the country. I hate it. Hate that camera angle. Anyway, now it's time for this. <laughs> Yes, it's time for the news. And of course, the world has been rocked by massive, massive transfer news this week. Everyone else is talking about it, so we may as well do it too, Justin, because a big, big player is leaving a club that he is so well known at. And that's Matthias Pereira, set to join Saudi Arabian side Al-Hilal. He's reportedly being paid 140 grand a week. Um... He's obviously linked with Premier League sides, wasn't he, Justin? But going to Saudi Arabia, do you think he's made the right decision? It doesn't scream ambition. Um, I think he's a player who has got the talent to play in the Premier League. He showed it at times for West Brom last season. Just a shame that... I mean, even, even, his, even his statement that he brought out really bothered me. Because, OK, you were saying, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not giving up. I'm still, I'm still fighting or whatever he said. I'm still fighting, but I want a lot more money, so I'm going to go for the money. Yeah, it's really disappointing. Not too happy yeah. with it. It's actually annoyed me quite a lot, Justin. Yeah, and I imagine I there are a few Albion fans who are annoyed by it too. Because Pereira made it very clear that he wanted to leave, and that's fine. The statement was contradictory at times, but whatever the case, the man wanted to go. But why to Saudi Arabia? Yes, you're getting paid a shitload of money, but... He would have still got paid a lot in the Premier League. Not as much, but still paid a very healthy mm. amount. And he'd still have a career because for me, moving to Saudi Arabia just says, I don't care what I accomplish in my career. All I care about is making as much money as possible. And if that's what he wants, then, I mean, fair play to him. Good luck. But it just seems like a massive waste of talent considering we all know what he's capable of. But 
you know, he's made his choice and it's a bad choice. Uh, Sam Surridge has left Bournemouth to join Stoke for five and a half million pounds. A fan of the move, it's just five and a half million, Justin. It's quite a lot of money, five and a half million pounds. But I think for that, you're getting a player who's 23 years old. He works incredibly hard. He's got a good goal scoring record compared to the minutes he's played. I think he was massively undervalued at Bournemouth last season and underused, actually. Um, so it's a great shame that he, they they didn't allow him to kick on. And I think this move, this move to Stoke is is a is a big one for him and a good good move for him as well. So five and a half million pounds well spent for me. I just think it's an awful lot of money for a striker. He's fairly unproven at Championship level, but he we all know he's got talent. It's just about seeing whether he can actually you know contribute goals regularly in the Stoke side but good luck to him Crystal Palace reportedly in talks to sign Adam Armstrong from Blackburn Sky Sports say Southampton are also in the mix seems almost certain like he's going doesn't he at this point and I think mm-hmm. Blackburn are more than happy to take the money because they need it Forrest have signed Philip Zinkenagel on loan from Watford a move you're a big fan of Justin I love Zinkenagel I, I absolutely Zink-dog. do and um Zink Dog, yeah, it's weird. Uh, boy. Some weird nicknames <laughs> we'll give players this season, but I'm, uh, you know, what? I'm, I'm really surprised that Watford are allowing him to go. He's he's a player that can cover mm. multiple positions in midfield, out wide, centrally, got a lot of creativity, and he's going to add something that Forest don't have, which is creativity. Yeah, yeah. Well, big, I, I'm, big, I'm big the same as you. I, I'm surprised that Watford let him go, considering he played so much for them when they got promoted, but it's a massive signing for Forrest. Ex-Wednesday winger Adam Reach has joined West Brom on a free. Ex-Wednesday defender Tom Lees has joined Huddersfield on a free. Uh, Daniel Everson, the goalkeepers, rejoined Preston on loan from Leicester. Exeter winger Joel Randall has joined Peterborough, 21-year-old. Looks a very handy player. And Derby have signed Curtis Davis, Ryan Allsop, Richard Stearman and Ravel Morrison. You a fan of that, Justin? It's just, we need bodies. We'll take anything. Just human beings. Just, just human beings. Yeah, just anything that breathes. To sign them up. We'll take it. I'm going to be interested to see how Morrison does, considering he, he signed for clubs in the past, anti, and just not really played. But mm. he probably will play at Derby, so I'm excited Needs to, to see. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm going to be excited to see if he actually, you know, makes that step in his career that he's been trying to do for quite some time now. Uh, away from transfers, Mark Warburton has signed a new deal at QPR, keeping him at the club for an undisclosed amount of time. And Wayne Rooney has revealed he's been sleeping at the office at Derby's training ground to get them ready for the new season. I mean, fair play. It's, it's an interesting one. It's just so I don't want to speculate. He's come off the back of that night out. Is he sleeping at the office? Stop. (laughs) Stop. You're going to get us in trouble. Hmm. Yes, say no more. Uh, Right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter to get you guys involved and get your thoughts on the general gist of whatever's going on in the championship at the moment. So the first question was this. Matthias Pereira, what would you do? Move to a Prem side or Saudi Arabia, baby, big books. Justin? Oh, it depends what the tax is in Saudi Arabia. If it's if it's favourable, then yeah, maybe I'd go and play there. What does that matter? <laughs> because tax is important. And if you get tax less in Saudi Arabia, you earn more money. And it's nicer climate. Yeah, you're still earning a lot of money. Well, what's no, your answer? I'd, I'd, go, I'd go to a Prem side, obviously. Yes, everyone else agrees with that. 79%, 21% said Saudi Arabia, baby. 8pm uh, Saturday night kickoffs. Don't mind them or a terrible idea? Um, I'm not really... 
I'm not really bothered. It's 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 crap if you've got to go down to Plymouth, isn't it? As an away fan, I think it's a terrible idea. Who wants to be in a football ground at ten o'clock on a Saturday night? It's that's a good point. Just, yeah, it's just not ideal whatsoever. So, yeah, I'm not a fan. Fifty five percent said terrible idea. Forty five percent said they don't mind them, which is yeah, don't fair think. enough. Uh, and have you ever slept at your workplace? Yes, no, or don't have a job. Time trying to do i i work from home so yes <laughs> yeah a good point yes <laughs> uh, i actually have slept in the office i think when we were actually allowed in our normal office um whatever the case 59 percent said no 24 percent said yes 70 percent said don't have a job uh, hope you get a job soon guys right those have been the polls now it's time for this hi simon chris and ed Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight is back for a new season and Simon is feeling more hateful than ever. Welcome back to the show, Louis from the Baggies podcast and Dan from the Peterborough podcast, The Yellow Block. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name the last eight clubs to win the championship and Louis would say Norwich, that's one down, and Dan would say Leeds, that's another down. But if Justin would say Derby, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, chaps, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So, Peterborough are back in the championship after seemingly missing out on promotion for the last 25 years. Can you name me the last eight teams to win League One? Any team who's won it twice recently, that only counts as one answer, Okay. Cool. Right. We shall go with Louis. You can go because West Brom haven't been in League One in a while. Uh, so we'll go with you first. See, I, I don't even know who came top. I, I, <laughs> That's a good start. <laughs> last season, I don't even know who came top. Mm. See, that's, that's, that's tricky. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go. Uh, I'll, I'll, get, I'll put, my, put my neck on the line for last season. I'll, I'll try Hull, I think. Hull City. Yes, you're oh, right. Hull won it last season, so you've uh, not disgraced yourself yet. <laughs> um, Dan, we'll go to you next. Can you name a club who has won League One in the, well, one of the last eight teams to win League One? I seem to remember Wolverhampton Wanderers coming down and uh, smacking things up a little bit. So Yes, they did. Kenny Jacket got them promoted in 2014, so you've got two so far. Six more to go. Justin? I've had a long time to think about it, but Luton Town, Luton Town won it yep. a couple of seasons ago. They absolutely did. They smashed everyone in the 2018-19 season. So, Larry, we're back to you. Rotherham, Rotherham United. Unfortunately, Rotherham no. are not on there. No, they they Shout. seem to they seem to finish second every time they're in. Yeah, Luton, bizarrely, never win it though. So yes, Louis is out. So it's down to Dan and Justin. You've got da, 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 five to go, Dan. I'm, I'm I'm trying to toss up between two, and I can't really sort of pinpoint one. I'm going to go with Sheffield United because I think they went back to back. Yes, they yeah. did. Chris Wilder. And his boys won 100 points in 2016-17. So, yes, Sheffield United is correct. You're halfway through. Justin, back to you. Did Blackburn win it under Tony Mowbray? They didn't. 
Oh, they God. didn't win it. I think they came second, but they definitely didn't win it, unfortunately. So Justin is out. That means it's back to Dan, and you're the last man standing. You've got four to go, and may I say, you look incredibly confident right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Um, <laughs> I think Wigan won a couple of years ago. Yes, they did. They actually won it twice. Uh, yeah, won it okay, in 2015-16. And 2017-18. Dan, you're going again. Three to go. Southampton. Because they went back-to-back as well, didn't they? Or is that too far away? not on there. Too far away. That was 2011, was it? Yeah, not on there, unfortunately. So, Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight is the victor. May I point out one of the ones you didn't get? Uh, Justin, what shirt are you wearing? Oh, crap, it's Coventry. Yeah, Yeah, Coventry won it two seasons ago when it was called off halfway through because of that pesky pandemic. Uh, Bristol City were another one, and Doncaster Rovers. They got promoted ahead of Bournemouth and Brentford in 2013, and look where all those teams are now. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go. Unfortunately, Simon Grayson is laughing away in his evil lair somewhere, and he is the victor this week. Unlucky boys, I'm sure... Later on in the season, when you return back to the show, you can have another crack then and try and get your own back on Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening wherever you are. We'll be back again on Thursday while me and Justin do a preview of the weekend's games. Our guest today, Louis Bent from the Baggies Podcast. Thank you for your time today. Thank you very much for having me on, gents. No problem. Dan Weldon from the Peterborough Podcast, The Yellow Block. Thank you for your time today. Cheers, lads. It's been a pleasure. No problem. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.